Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. And and actually what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a head start, a little cheat uh, on your reading for for this week. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 22, which you're going to read, I believe, tomorrow, uh, and verse... One, as you turn, I'm going to pray, Father, meet needs, open eyes. May we see a little bit more clearly today, all because of our time together in your word. And the church says, all right. Now it came to pass after these things, Abraham left uh, his homeland to go to a place that he had never been before to fight battles that he had never fought before. Battles, actually, people thought he couldn't win to have a child that no one thought he could have and live a life only a few people in history have ever lived. But finally, uh, Abraham got to the place of his final exam. This is really important. God never uses anyone greatly that he does not test deeply. And there's really no getting away from that or around it. So it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. This is also very, very important. God does not test us in order to determine whether or not we're worthy. None of us are worthy. He only tests us to see if we're ready and if we're prepared for this next season that God's called us to. So God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham. Have you ever wished that God kind of forgets your name? Okay, I'm the only one that's honest in this room. But when it comes to the hard stuff, every now and then I I hear the voice of God saying, Derek. And I'm like, you know, uh, Lord, I I think he might have moved. We just kind of look alike. You know, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not that guy. But I want you to watch Abraham. He's a little better than me. He said, here I M. You see, God's not wasting his time looking for perfect vessels because there aren't, there just, just aren't any. He's only looking for available vessels. So then God said to him, take now your son. Abraham and Sarah had hung on for 25 years waiting for Isaac, their child, to be born. And after 25 years and, and the boy's grown older, notice the next statement. Your only son, Isaac. Now, the question here, those of us that have been reading through the Bible, you know that just a few chapters earlier, a whole chapter was spent focused on Ishmael. And your question arises in your mind, what is it? God can't count? How is Isaac his only son? Didn't Abraham have another son by his mistress? How many of y'all? Yeah. The issue here is God obviously doesn't see things the way people see things. And God obviously doesn't count things the way people count things. God's arithmetic is a whole lot different than our own. Hebrews 8 and 12 explains. God is speaking. He said, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. According to scripture, God didn't even remember 
Abraham's mishap, his sin, his mistake. So here's the question. If God let it go, why are you still holding on? That's the question. The Bible says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be confirmed. Witness number two. This verse gets crazier. Psalms 103. He says, as far as the east is from the west, meaning this distance is uh, immeasurable and irretrievable. So far has God removed our transgressions from us. So the chapter in our lives that God has chosen to close, no man can make God open according to my, my Bible. Third testimony. You almost have to hear it three times to believe it. Micah seven nineteen. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities, conquer them. And you, speaking of God, will cast all, did it say all? Yes. Not just some of the small ones. It said what? All our sins into the depths of the sea. So according to scripture, God casts all of our, our sins into the what? Sea. But then what God does is he puts a no fishing sign on the dock to make sure we don't go fishing for those same sins that's already covered. Now here's the question. If the mafia could get us to believe what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Why can't God get us to believe what's under the blood is under the blood? Back to 22 and verse 2. The old-fashioned Bible study here. God said, take Isaac, whom you love. God wasn't interested in Isaac's leftovers. He wasn't interested in just those things that Isaac kind of had a casual relationship with. He said, take Isaac, whom you what? Love. If the offering does not mean anything to you, it probably doesn't mean anything to God. Preacher better you saying amen. amen. He said, take Isaac whom you love and go to Moriah, which was about a 50-mile journey, and offer him what or where? There. Some of our most meaningful moments with God happened in inconvenient places and at inconvenient times. And in this case, God didn't want him to worship here, it's there. So I want to ask a question, where are you in God's economy? Because the offerings that God accepts are only in the place of your appointment and assignment. He said, offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall, future tense, tell you. Now, how many of you worship a God like the God I know, who almost never tells you all the details up front? Yeah. He just kind of points you in the right direction and says, walk by faith. Trust me. Now, if you wait until everything is crystal clear before you do what God says, you're never going to do anything in your life. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K, period. And there's going to be some risks. There's going to be some things that aren't all mapped out before you go, at least in your mind. 
But that's why we walk by faith. So Abraham rose early in the morning. And most of us would have stayed awake all night and probably delayed all morning. But, but we see here, Abraham not only went to sleep, he got an early start. And when there's a hill to climb, waiting won't make it smaller. Might as well just get it done. I mean, if you're going to swallow a goldfish, do it fast. I mean, why torture yourself and torment yourself by wetting, chewing it and letting it? No! If you're going to swallow a goldfish, swallow. And I've learned when I know it's God, he's telling me to do it. No more thinking. Make a decision. Get it done. Procrastination will not make it sweeter. Frank, how many of y'all ever gotten some cold water? And when you start stepping in and you inching in to the pool, especially when it gets right about here, oh my gosh, right? Jump in, take a dive. And when it comes to the things of God, you're like, God, why is this torture? Because you're so slow. If you just jump in and do what you're supposed to do, it wouldn't be so much pain. Make a decision and leap. And he saddled his donkey, meaning he got into his car. And he took his young men with him, put him in the back seat. And Isaac, his son, rode shotgun. Then it said he went in his front yard and he split the wood for the burnt offering, cut down some trees. And he arose and prayed about it. He arose and wrote a position paper on what it might look like if he gets it done. He arose and went. The best way to get something done is to begin. He got up and he did it. He went to the place of which God told him. When you finally leave everything in God's hands, you'll find God's hand in everything you do. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place afar from a distance. By the way, those of us that drive, you know, 45 minutes an hour to, to get to Grace Church, don't fret, it took Abraham three whole days to get to his place of worship. A church alive is worth the drive. little brief commercial in there. And Abraham said to his young men, y'all stay here with the donkey. And you're going to have to leave some donkeys behind if you're going to go on with God. You can never follow a fool to a wise place. You just can't do it. He said, and the lad and I Lad literally means young man here. We'll go yonder and watch this. And worship. We call singing a few hymns and songs worship. But not Abraham. Songs without sacrifice is flattery. This incredible sacrifice, Abraham called worship. When is the last time 
you really worship God? When is the last time you really gave God that something that cost you? Something that you felt? I like what Tim Keller says. He says, if you never disagree with God, you're not worshiping God. You're really just worshiping the ideal version of yourself. A lot of us, we're not really hearing from God. It's really our own minds. If you're never challenged, if you're never pressed, if you're never stretched, it's probably not God leading you in your life. And then he says something remarkable. He says, and we, which is plural, both him and the boy. Remember, they left everybody alone. They left everyone down at the bottom of the hill, including the donkeys. He said, and we will come back to you. You see, Abraham might have been a lot of things, but he wasn't a murderer. He fully expected to come back down that hill with his son. And the New Testament actually camps on this point and makes it even clearer. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith... Abraham, when he was tested, just like we just read, offered up Isaac. And he who received the promises offered up his only what? Begotten son. Who's that sound like, by the way? Of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Now here's the deal. On the surface, it looked like a contradiction, if you will. How could the Messiah come through Isaac? And at the same time, God was asking Abraham to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice. If Isaac died before he had children, that would nullify, that, that, would, that would be a contradiction that would make impossible for God's word to come to pass. Here's something I learned. Obeying God almost always requires overcoming some mental hurdles in your life. In verse 19, it says, concluding. Meaning, he was facing some contradictions, but nonetheless, he still came to a conclusion. Abraham was successful with God only because in his life, he made some conclusions. Sometimes not coming to a conclusion at all is worse than making a decision. In science... When you really meet a true scientist, if that scientist comes upon something that he or she cannot easily explain, they have a category for that. It's a ready category, and that category is called an anomaly. It means the scientist doesn't throw away everything and give up all his trust in science. He just begins to think through the issue again from another angle and in another way. Likewise, when a true believer comes upon something hard to understand, he or she doesn't throw away everything they ever heard about God. They just dig in a little bit deeper to see it from another angle. And if a true scientist would never walk away from science, would a true believer ever really walk away from God? Now, what I hear being said, well, that person walked away from God because something bad happened in a church one day. The problem is I wasn't born yesterday. Because if you really know Jesus, 
Okay, they walked away from God because this thing didn't pan out, this issue didn't pan out in them. But if you really know Jesus, there is nothing in this life that can compare to what he offers. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you really know him, there ain't no pastor's fault. There ain't no liar or gossiper in the church that's going to keep you out of the presence of a holy, loving God. Are you kidding me? Somebody this tall is going to stop you? Listen, when I was young and wanted some things, I'd climb up walls and through windows. So the issue is not what happened to you, it's you didn't want it enough. It says, Abraham was concluding, the NIV says, reasoning. He concluded that God was able. Anybody in this room believe God is that when things don't match up, when things don't seem to, to line up, just does anyone still believe that God is able? He came to a conclusion. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But my God is able to do abundantly above all that I could ask or think. He came to a conclusion about his God. So the question is, what is the conclusion you've come to about your God in your life? He concluded that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. You see, Abraham's sanctified logic went a little bit like this. God can't lie, plus. God promised that the Messiah would come through Isaac, plus. God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Altogether, this must mean God's about to raise him from the dead. Here's the deal. God says in his word that he'll meet all your needs. But then you lose your job. Sanctify reason, say, well, God must, go, God must not be dependent on that job. See, see, what we do is we trust the resource and not the source. I don't care, I lose my job, my church, my health. My God shall meet all my needs according to his riches in glory, period, period. But I've made some conclusions. Have you? Genesis 22 and verse 6. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Do you remember anyone else carrying wood on his back? And he took fire in his hand and a knife. Can you remember anyone else walking into a fiery trial on purpose? only to be pierced by metal. And the two of them went on together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. Now, Isaac may not have been the sharpest tool in the shed, but he started putting two and two together. 
He's like, dude. Uh. And dad said, well, what is it, son? And Isaac said, uh, look, the fire, the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? You know, sometimes we, we walk with God expecting someone else to make the sacrifice. But what do you do when it finally dawns on you, you know, it's you. This incident only occurred to foreshadow future events. As we dig in deeper, you're going to discover that's the only reason God would or could ever do such a, on the surface, I don't even know what to call it, it for, to, to ask a father to kill a child. The Bible calls such things abominations. So why would God do that unless he was pointing to something? The verse we just read, Isaac said, the fire of the wood, but where is the lamb? Well, John finally identifies this lamb. 1 in 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, behold, the lamb of God that had been prophesied from centuries before, who takes away the sin of the world. See, Jesus is that lamb Isaac was pointing to, and God was his father. And again, you see, because we're familiar with the story, the test doesn't offend us the way it should. But to a Jewish mind, to read God talking about human sacrifice was abominable. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.